I received my itinerary for um, Uganda. It looks like I will get to uh, spend part of my time in the town of Mbale, M-B-A-L-E, which I'm quite excited um, because I spent time there back when I was just graduating from college. And they gave me a Ugandan name while I was there. Um, since my last name is Holland, they said, oh, well, you own the country of Holland. So they gave me the name that means landlord, Maloba. So um, I will answer to Maloba for the next uh, month or so. Please, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I ask for your uh, blessing to uh, attend not only to the reading, but also the preaching of your word. Father, I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts in order that we may be able to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and that you would full, fill us with the full measure of your Spirit. Be our teacher. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who are visiting with us, we uh, it's our typical practice to uh, work our way through books of the Bible, and so we have been working our way for quite some time now through uh, the Gospel of John. And uh, this morning we come to a major transition in the Gospel of John. In chapter 13, Jesus takes us to the very night in which he was to be betrayed. And so this is the, the night before he's going to be nailed to the cross. John slows down his gospel, slows it down into slow motion. In chapter 13, well, it's only a, a few short hours until he's betrayed. But we have in these in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, we have Jesus' words first to his disciples and then to his Father. Um, so in five chapters, in the short few hours from his betrayal, uh, or to his betrayal, we have the words of Jesus. So these five chapters are some of the most exciting and encouraging chapters in the whole Bible because we get to hear um, Jesus' extended teaching on the Christian life. And in chapter 17, we get to hear Jesus' uninterrupted, uninterrupted prayer to the Father. And I know you will be encouraged as we move forward. First 12 chapters of John's Gospel emphasize the unbeliever's need to believe in Christ. These next five chapters will emphasize the believer's need to trust in Christ. We'll start off with verse 1. Verse 1 sets the tone for the next five chapters. So chapter 13, verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. What does Jesus mean when He says, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end? Well, obviously He's speaking here of His disciples uh, with whom He had spent the past three years. He, he, he loved them when He called them. 
He loved them when He taught them. He loved them when He rebuked them. He loved them when He subjected them to uh, various trials. He loved them even when they failed to trust in Him. And the same goes for us. Jesus has loved us over the years. He's loved us through all our joys. He's loved us through all our sorrows. He's loved us even when He has had to rebuke us. He has loved us even as He has been patient with us in all our sins and all our failures to love and trust Him. So I love Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, where it says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us His brothers. Such is His enduring love for us. And we should not forget that last phrase uh, where it says, Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Jesus loved His disciples not only when they were with Him, he loved them when he was when they they fled from him, um, when they abandoned him at his arrest. He loved them while he was standing on trial alone for his life. He loved them while he was beaten and while he was nailed to the cross. He loved them even when the Father turned his back on Christ and punished him with their sins. Truly. He loved them to the end. And you were objects of His love at those very same moments. Even though it was nearly two millennia before before your parents gave birth to you, you belonged to Jesus. You were His own. And He loved you and gave Himself for you. While He was on the cross, your sins were upon Him. Not only, uh, he not only loved his disciples to the end, he loved you to the end, those of you who belong to him. The disciples did not know it while they were eating this uh, last supper with Jesus, but cosmic events were taking place in the very room where they were. Look at verses 2 through 4. During supper, When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. So it appears that during this supper, Satan filled Judas' heart to betray Jesus. And also, God the Father had placed all things into Jesus' hands. John mentioned these two events to contrast them with what Jesus was about to do. And so knowing these things had happened, that Satan had filled uh, Judas's heart, that the Father had given all things into his hands, Jesus rose from the supper. What did he do? Well, look again at verses 4 and 5. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In other words, Jesus was about to wash the feet 
of the one who had already determined to betray Him. And Jesus, having had all things placed into His hands, all power, all authority, all glory, what does He do? He rose from the table, rose from the supper, to lower Himself to the lowest form of servitude. And this is the point of the foot washing here in, in chapter 13. Jesus served His disciples with the lowest form of servitude imaginable. Philippians 2 verses 5-8 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not, account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, Jesus, the King of glory, Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, humbled Himself. I remember in my sermon on... uh, Philippians 2, I said something to the effect that Jesus uh, made Himself so low in humbling Himself that He was able to stand underneath a pregnant ant. And uh, I looked back in my notes to see if this is what I actually said. I actually said something a little differently. I said, Jesus made Himself so low that He could do jumping jacks under a pregnant ant. And He did it willingly. And He did it for sinners. I might also add that He did it for Judas who hated Him. So Jesus went pretty low um, in His servitude, wrapping that towel around Him in order that He might wash His disciples' feet. The The foot washing was symbolic of what Jesus was going to do the following day on the cross. Because when Jesus went to the cross... Uh, He went as a servant. How does it go in Matthew 10, um, 10.35? I should turn there. I I have it memorized, and every time I try and do this from the pulpit on the fly. And now I'm not finding it. Oh. 10.45, 10.45, Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus, when He wrapped that towel around His waist, symbolically He was saying, I came not to be served, even though I'm the King of glory. Rather, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. When He poured that water into the basin, to wash his servants, uh, to wash his disciples' feet, it was to illustrate that he was going to pour out his blood to wash away human sin. He washed his disciples' feet to demonstrate that he cleanses God's children's um, sin. This foot washing pictures for us the descent of the Lord Jesus Christ. The descent from the highest position in the entire universe down, down, down 
to His death on the cross. I'm going to skip over um, verses 6 through 11 so that Simon Peter and his antics there in the passage don't distract us from the larger point that I want us to see. Skip down to verse 12. Jesus, uh, in verses 12 through 17, makes one specific application that He wants His disciples to obey. And so by extension... This is the application that Jesus wants us to obey as well. So look at verses 12 through 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And he's not saying to mimic him by washing each other's feet but rather he's talking about this idea of humble servitude. So the question then is how good at you how good are you at living a humbled life? How good are you at serving others even those who hate you? How good are you at giving up your time and your rights? to bless others. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in other words, go low, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So how obedient are you to Philippians 2, 3 and 4? How consistently obedient are you? Now, before you answer, let me me remind you that all of us are sinners. This means that even in our most self-giving moments, we have self-centeredness. We have selfishness. We have pride sitting on our shoulder, whispering in our ear, And most times that we actually sacrifice for others, we are doing for selfish reasons. The reason I ask how obedient you are in humbling yourself, how obedient you are in serving others, even your enemies, is for you to be honest with yourself and with God and to recognize that you are likely to be more self-oriented than others oriented. And in recognizing that, to realize that what is called for is repentance and renewed trust in Jesus Christ. And if you see your need to repent, if you need see your need to go to Christ and ask for His forgiveness for being self-oriented rather than others-oriented, for being prideful rather than humble, 
then maybe the question is, what does this repentance look like? What's the first step um, in acknowledging that we are, in our core, selfish, self-centered, and prideful? So what does repentance of selfishness and and self-centeredness and pride look like? Well, first of all, when we are humble, we can tolerate being sinned against because we know that we have sinned against others and are prone to continuing to sin against others. It also means that we consider others more important or more significant than ourselves. If you're going to be obedient to the example that Christ is giving to us here in the foot washing, you must consider yourself of a lower rank than everybody else. Look around. See the people sitting around you. Everybody here is more significant, more important than yourself. Remember the discussion Jesus had with His disciples? First of all, the disciples were actually having a discussion amongst themselves with Jesus not being around. In Mark chapter 9, and Jesus saw them having this intense discussion and He asked them what they were discussing. And the Scripture says that the disciples kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So Jesus said to them, If any of you would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So, is that your attitude towards yourself? Last of all, servant of all. Repentance from selfishness and self-centeredness and pride also means that you won't look uh, to your own interest. You'll look outside yourself. You'll be seeking to bless everybody else. This is a good barometer of how well you're repenting of selfishness and self-centeredness and pride. So how are you doing at serving and blessing everybody else? It might be easy to disregard this kind of repentance and say, I've got Jesus, so I'm okay. But this kind of repentance strikes at the very heart of Christian conduct. The world says, me, others, God. The Christian must say, God, others, me. To disregard this is to disregard Christ. This is where the Gospel meets real life. Jesus Christ left heaven. And He he became a human being in order that He might be mistreated, in order that He might be crucified on the cross. He left heaven and became a human being in order to be a sin offering for human beings. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He who is the the Lord of glory, the second person of the Godhead, made Himself low for us, becoming obedient, even obedient to death on the cross. 
And after His resurrection and ascension, then He sent His Spirit into the church to empower us to love each other unconditionally. This passage tells us not only how we're to treat each other in, in the church, it also tells us how we are to treat others outside the church as we do evangelism. So look at verse 20. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. In other words, the idea is Jesus is going to be sending His disciples out. And He's telling them when they receive you, they're going to receive me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So as we go out, if we are going to be received as people receive the Lord Jesus, this means that we are to approach people with the same humility and servitude as Jesus served the disciples when He washed their feet. By our attitude and our service, unbelievers are to experience and receive the love of Christ. How often have we come across as being superior to the unbeliever? How often have we been more concerned with winning an argument than serving in love? How often have we been more concerned with making ourselves look good than making Christ look compassionate and loving? Humble, self-giving service must be our approach to evangelism if we are to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Watchman Nee, and I've, I've told this story probably, I don't know, three or four years ago now. Watchman Nee, the great Chinese evangelist, tells a story about a Christian he once knew in China. He was a poor rice farmer, and his fields lay on a high mountain. Every day he pumped water into the patties uh, of new rice. And the, next, and the next day he would always find that his neighbor would have come along and would have opened the dike surrounding the Christian's field in order to let all the water run into his own field. And the Christian became desperate because his rice wasn't getting enough water. So he began to pray and ask God um, for a solution. And as he prayed, he found a solution. What he began to do was he would go into his fields earlier uh, earlier than normal each morning. And he pumped water into his neighbor's fields first and then pumped water into his own field. Not only did he save his rice, but his selflessness was used to bring the neighbor to Jesus Christ as well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it is humbling to think that You humbled Yourself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. For us, who so often wear pride as a cloak and are driven by selfish and self-centered desires. Lord, why would You die for us why would You be merciful to us? We don't know the answer to that question, but we are thankful 
that in Your great mercy, You purchased us for God. And You sent Your Spirit to live in our hearts, to help us to look outside ourselves and look to the Lord Jesus. Not only to look to His example, but to be empowered by Your Spirit to follow His example. Humble us, I pray. Bring repentance where repentance is needed. And help us all to look to the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave Himself for us. We pray in His name. Amen.